All right. So if you have your Bible, open toward the end of your Bible to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3. Uh, or since I just got back from England, as they say there, 2 Peter. 2 Peter, chapter 3. 2 Peter. Tonight, uh, we're going to start um, a new series for the second half of this semester. We've, we're finished with the Covenant series. I hope that was helpful to you in some way. Tonight, we're going to start a new series called The Means of Grace. The Means of Grace. And some of you, maybe, maybe a lot of you, I don't know, know, know what that's referring to. Um, some of you may not have any idea what that's talking about, the means of grace. What in the world are means of grace? Um, well, to start the series, I want us to start on the same page. And uh, so, like, what are we talking about when we talk about means of grace? And uh, where do we find that idea in Scripture? That's always going to be very important. And so let me say a word about each of those, and then we'll dive into two, the first, we'll talk about the first two means of grace tonight. Uh, and I'll say more about that in just a minute. Let's pray before we get started, though. Oh, Lord, um, I, I ask your blessings on, on this series as uh, we're going to look at your, at your word and what it teaches us about these, these different means of grace that you've given to us. Um, and we want to say at the outset that, and confess our faith to you that every scripture we read uh, is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And uh, we, we know that every time we come to that, uh, we need your help. We need your help to give us eyes to see the truth in the scriptures. You need your help to give us minds to understand it and hearts to embrace it, wills to obey it. And I ask your blessings on, in those ways tonight. Uh, help us to see what you would have us to see and love what you would have us to love. Care about what you would have us to care about. Live out what you would have us to live out. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what are we referring to when we talk about means of grace? Um, you may have heard, if you don't know what that is, you, you may have heard the same idea referred to um, by a more common name, at least in our circles, that name being spiritual disciplines. Now, when I say spiritual disciplines, when I mention spiritual disciplines, Maybe you have certain things come to mind. Maybe you resonate with what we mean when we say spiritual disciplines. And you think of things like reading your Bible and, and uh, praying and worship, um, like gathered worship, uh, going to church, you know, evangelism, serving, stewardship, um, fasting, journaling, all those different things that we've talked about. We talk about in evangelical circles. Those, in fact, those things that I just mentioned all that list of things, those just happen to be the chapter divisions, the names of the chapters in, in, the, in a well-known book, been around a long time, Donald Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Um, I commend that book to you. It's a good book. It's a very good book, but it's in the title, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Uh, and and that, that language has, that's not the only place you find it, that kind of language to talk about these kinds of things. There's another book that, that is, that is um, as old as Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, maybe a bit older, written by Richard Foster called The Celebration of Discipline. 
And uh, it's a bit more of a mystical kind of take on, the, on what they're referring to as disciplines. But then you've got also books like, you, you may have seen Disciplines of a Godly Man or Disciplines of a Godly Woman. Disciplines, disciplines, disciplines. That's the kind of language that we tend to use. And <clears throat> that's the prominent word in all of those. And so when, when we talk about all of those things that I just mentioned, Bible reading, prayer, et cetera, et cetera, um, those things have, uh, for a lot of us, come into our thinking in terms of those are disciplines that we need to uh, uh, affirm and that we need to give ourselves to. And that, certainly that's not a wrong way to think about those things um, because the Bible, does you, the Bible does say things like train yourself for the purpose of godliness. It does say that bodily training is of some value, but, but, but you know, spiritual training is of eternal value. So train yourself for the purpose of godliness. And it gives examples of like an athlete training himself and disciplining himself for the purpose of running a race. And, and the Christian life is a race, so train yourself. And it, it does use that kind of imagery. So it's certainly not wrong to talk about those things as spiritual disciplines. It does take a measure of discipline, but it is, I think, wrong if, if that's the only way we ever talk about those things. Why? What's, what's wrong if, it's the, if we only, only ever call those things spiritual disciplines or we think about them as spiritual disciplines? Because it's a very one-sided way of referring to them. It's a very one-sided way of referring to them because I th it ignores a very important aspect of reality. What do I mean by that? It's one that I've mentioned before and that bears repeating. I've, here's another book that I've talked to you, told you about before. Some of us have read it. I commend it highly to you. It's called You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. And in that book, <clears throat> Smith makes this very important point. He says, and you may have heard me say this, he says, practices, and not just in Christian life, any practices, any practices at all that we partake in. It may be how we go to the grocery store. It may be going to a, a, a ball game. It could be going to class. It could be anything. He says, the practices in life that we participate in, quote, they're not just things we do, but they do something to us. They're not just things we do, they do something to us. And then later, in the same book, he's talking about worship in particular, and he says, the practices of, of historic Christian worship are not just old, traditional ways that Christians gathered around word and table, they are rooted in a fundamentally different understanding of what worship is. In worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give Him our praise. We are called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes us and molds us top down. Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do. It is where God does something to us. And that's what he says. And, that, and did you notice that when I, and if you listen to that carefully, did you notice how he never used the word discipline there to talk about worship? Instead, he calls it an encounter with God. It's an encounter with God. It's a way of encountering God. And something that, that thinking about these different practices that I mentioned, reading your Bible and prayer and, and journaling and witnessing and worship and serving and all those things, something, thinking about those things merely as disciplines in your life 
um, that, that encountering God in those things is not something that is often communicated or, or, or even alluded to when we just think about them as disciplines in our life. Um, another, another example of what Smith is making, he, here is what Paul Miller, I feel like this is a book tour, but I, you know, this is A Praying Life by Paul Miller. It's probably the best book on prayer I've ever read. Here's what he says in the introduction of that verse, uh, Pat, that book, basically. He says, on, on prayer, he says, Oddly enough, many people struggle to learn how to pray because they're focusing on praying, not on God. Making prayer the center is like making conversation the center of a family mealtime. In prayer, focusing on the conversation is like trying to drive while looking at the windshield instead of through it. It freezes us, making us unsure of where to go. Conversation is only the vehicle through which we experience one another. Right? And because though, I think that's an aspect of reality that needs to be taken into account when we talk about these practices we do as a, as, as a Christian because these things are true long, long, long before uh, Christians ever refer to those practices as disciplines. As true partially as that is, Christians refer to those things as means of grace. Means of grace. They are means. They are ways. They are channels of God's grace to us to transform us into his likeness. That's another reason why I'm a fan of, the, the, of referring to them as means of grace rather than disciplines because disciplines seem like they are ends in, in and of themselves. It's just, I have a discipline of Bible reading. I read my Bible. I did it. Right? It seems like that's the stopping point. Right? It makes it an end in themselves. But but, but these things are never ends in themselves, and I hope we, we establish that throughout the rest of this semester. They are means, they are channels, they are ways of encountering God on the other end um, and being transformed by the grace he gives us in the process. And, and while all of that sounds good, where do we see that idea in the Bible? Because you can say, well, okay, James K.A. Smith says it and Paul Miller says it, but does that just mean it's true? I mean, do we see it in the, in the Scriptures? And I, and I think we do. I've asked you to open to 2 Peter, or 2 Peter 3. Uh, and if you're still there, look with me at the very last verse of chapter 3, which is the very last verse of the book. It's the last word of instruction that Peter gives them. <clears throat> and he says in verse 18, But grow, grow in the grace of and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now just think about what he's saying there. He's giving a command that we're expected to be able to obey. And we're expected to read that and, 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 and sort of come to our own conclusion and say, okay, these are actionable steps I could take to do what he just told me to do. And to show you what I mean, take out, take out part of that first phrase and imagine that all he said was, but grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If, if, 
Imagine that's all he said. What kind of things would automatically come into your mind? Is How would I obey that? You could immediately think of things that you could do and you could practice to grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I could read the Bible more, right? I could, I could read other good books that help me understand the Scriptures better. Um, that Christians ha- who have reflected on the Scriptures down through the century as they're written. I could pray and meditate on His Word. I could fellowship with other believers in the church. I could sit under the preaching of God's Word. Those are all things I can do that could, that, that could help me grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can think of a lot of ways to respond to that command. But the same is still true when you put that first phrase back in it. When it says there are actionable steps that we can take to grow in His grace as well. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are actions, there are means, there are ways, there are channels to grow in His grace as well as the knowledge of Him. And what are they? There are all those things, that's at least some of them, that I just mentioned um, that help us grow. All those practices that he gives us to grow in faithful obedience. And so, therefore, when the Bible talks about the, 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 the practices of obedience that we give ourselves to, it, it doesn't talk about them as just mere disciplines. Um, that, to talk about them as, to put it in Paul Miller's language, to talk about them as mere disciplines is like looking at the windshield instead of through it. Um, But it talks about them as means uh, through which, by which, we encounter God. We encounter His grace. And we're, through that encounter with Him, transformed into His likeness. So for the remaining weeks of this semester, that's what I want us to consider. Tonight, I want us to consider briefly, all too briefly, Scripture and prayer. Scripture and prayer as, a, as means of grace. Um, <clears throat> and for the rest of the weeks, I and the interns will rotate teaching on the other means of grace. And specifically, the things that we're going to consider for the rest of the semester are worship, um, bearing witness to Christ, so evangelism, um, fasting, silence and solitude. How about them apples? serving, and, and, and then Kent Gresham's going to teach us about discipleship at the end of the semester. But I hope these weeks will be a blessing to you, and I hope it's, it's going to be encouraging to you if you, if you are of, a, of a, a legalistic bent of mind. I hope that this will free you a bit. To, to see these as invitations more than disciplines. And, I, and if you're of a licentious bent of mind and, a, and an abuser of grace, um, I hope you too will see these as invitations to, to behold your holy God and find a good kick in the pants. Um, but anyway... I want want us to sort of hopefully reconsider these practices in your Christian life. What it it boils down to is I hope this series creates a a shift in your mind from these practices being discipline and law to them being an opportunity and means to encounter God and receive His grace. Therefore, to neglect 
to neglect these things that we're going to talk about. To neglect them is not breaking a law. Um, it's, it's forfeiting his grace. It's, it's forfeiting his presence. And, 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 and forfeiting his grace and forfeiting his presence, it will leave you, what it will leave you in practice, it will leave you worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. Um, and you become like what you worship. So in other words, if you break a law, that's the end. If, if, but if you're forfeiting grace, it's a cascading effect. You know? The stakes are higher. The, the blessing is more but the stakes are higher. So these aren't mere disciplines, they're invitations. With that said, let me say a word about the first two means of grace on our list. And um, because I had to spend some time setting the stage for the series, I won't have as much time as would be best to spend on these, especially these two means. But hopefully we can consider some helpful things about them. The two means are Scripture and prayer. So let's think first about Scripture as a means of grace. So, <clears throat> the first thing we may need to come to grips with, if we're going to th- begin to see how we practice uh, and use the Scriptures, whether that be reading it, reading it on our own, or reading it in, in, in a discipleship group, or sitting under the preaching of God's Word, uh, the first thing we need to do to begin to see it as a means of grace is that we avoid the error of the Pharisees. Avoid the error of the Pharisees, which I would submit we are far more prone to do than we would like to admit. Um, What is the error of the Pharisees? Uh, the, The Pharisees saw the scriptures and knowledge of them as ends in of themselves. As ends in themselves. It's like Paul said of them in Romans 10, they have a zeal for knowledge. They have a zeal for knowledge. That's what he said of them. Uh, they, saw, they, they saw the knowledge of the Scriptures and knowing what they say as the end product rather than a means to something else. So consider what Jesus told the Pharisees in John five thirty nine. You can turn there. You can just jot down the reference. John five thirty nine. Here's what he told the, the Pharisees. He says, he told them, you search the scriptures, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Think, listen to that again. Think carefully about what Jesus is saying. You search the scriptures, John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think that In them, in the Scriptures, in knowing the Scriptures, you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Notice carefully what Jesus is not faulting them for. He is not faulting them for searching the Scriptures. Search them. Don't do that any less. He's faulting them for why they were. Why they were uh, searching the Scriptures. They saw their, their knowledge of the Scriptures, which for them was the Old Testament, their knowledge of the law, as the goal. And that, that in, in their knowledge of the Scriptures, that was, that was the means of attaining eternal life. Jesus said, the Scriptures they were searching, though, and rightly searching, they actually bear witness about Him. 
So they weren't to search the Scriptures less. They were to search the Scriptures for the right reasons. as a means to see Christ. as a means to know Christ. A means to find Him and find grace in Him. We are often guilty of the same error. We are. Um, I am. (laughs) how, How are we so often guilty of the same error? Very often we read our Bible just because we have to. Or just because we're supposed to. Um, and that's like an end in, in, in itself. Or we read it looking for the wrong thing. Jesus wants us to encounter Him through the means of His Word. And through seeing Him and encountering Him in His Word, He makes us more like Him. That's why later in John, in John seventeen seventeen, it's easy to remember because it's seventeen seventeen, and it's a short verse. Jesus prayed, for all his people, and he said, he prayed to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus doesn't want us to just come to the Scriptures to know them, but that through them, know him, right? And be sanctified in him. To miss that is so easy. It's so easy. For example, it would be so easy to think back on the first half of this semester and what we learned about the biblical covenants and how the whole, knowing the covenants and knowing now, I mean, maybe, maybe you came in and you just weren't aware of all that, but now you're aware of covenant of works with Adam and then that he made one with Noah and what it means and, and Abraham and how important that was and Moses and all that and David and the new. Now you see the whole story coming together. And it would be so easy to, to see that and feel like you've done something just because now you understand the Bible better. Now that you understand the storyline and how it all fits together, you feel like you've done something. But the whole point of that series uh, is to see how every covenant and certainly all of them together Paint a, paint a picture and point you forward to Jesus Christ, right? It point beyond themselves to Jesus, who fulfills them, who saves sinners. The whole point was, was not just to see uh, the, 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 the covenants, not just to understand the covenants, but through them to see and understand Christ. And the Bible is consistent in telling us that the Bible itself is consistent in telling us that that's, this is the goal of its own existence. The Bible itself says, this is why I'm here. Um, the Bible presents itself as a, as a means of grace, as an invitation to see Jesus through it, and not just as a discipline to be obeyed. Maybe the clearest place we see this outside of what we've seen Jesus say is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians I'm going to do me a favor and flip to 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. This is another good memory verse. I think looking at it with your own eyes will help you see what he's saying here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 and let's just begin looking at it and he says first half of the verse and we all with unveiled face i'll say more about that in just a second beholding the glory of the lord are being transformed 
beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. It sounds, it sounds like he's going to be talking about something that's a means of grace. That we, when we behold it, we, we're transformed by it. Now let's stop right there, though, and do, do some, some thinking like, about what he's referring to there when he says, beholding the glory of the Lord. If Paul says we're transformed by beholding the glory of the Lord, how exactly do we do that? How exactly do we go about beholding the, the, the Lord and the glory of the Lord? Well, ways that the Bible teaches us about that, you, you go for Psalm 19.1, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. You know, so we can behold the glory of the Lord in, in creation, but that's not what he's talking about here. If you're familiar with this passage already, or if you've got your Bible open, you can just look back a few verses. Look beginning in verse 14. And let's see what he's talking about, about how we behold the Lord, according to Paul in this passage. He says in verse 14, But their minds were hardened, that is, many of the Jews. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. What is he emphasizing? Reading. Reading. When they read the Old Covenant, when Moses is read. So when they read the Old Covenant, when Moses is read, he's talking about when they read the Scriptures. And Paul's point here seems to be that that we behold the glory of the Lord by beholding Him in the Scriptures when we read them. And verse 18 says that we're transformed into His image through that. So Paul, like Jesus here, is saying that when we come to our Bibles, we are to read them as a means of grace. We are first and foremost to come to these Scriptures seeking to behold Christ in them. And hopefully, by the way, having looked at the covenants of the Old, Old Testament in the first half, no matter where you parachute into the Bible, you can see Christ there. Because you know that Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses and, and David and New, they are like different neighborhoods of the Bible. And if you parachute in in David's neighborhood, you understand what covenant you're in. You understand the significance of the Davidic covenant, that the king is supposed to represent his people and give them rest. And you can see how that points straight to Jesus. He came to give us rest, and he's our representative before the Father. You can see Christ anywhere you land. And, 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 and that's, why, that's why, like an endless drumbeat, I tell you, I don't care... I don't care what passage you come to in Scripture. I don't care. The first question you ought to ask about every passage is, what does this teach me about God? Good night, guys. So, did y'all know that? And you just didn't say it? Thank you. I'm so, I feel better. What does this teach me about God? Or what does this teach me about Christ? Um... Yeah, what does it teach me about God? Because the more we behold the glory of the Lord, behold the glory of Christ in the Scriptures, the more we will love Him. And the more we love Him, the more we will grow to be like Him. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it happens that way. And it doesn't just happen automatically, according to this verse either. Um, just because we're beholding the, the, the Lord. It says, it says that uh, the Holy Spirit does this in us. This comes from the Lord 
who is the Spirit. And that's what it's referring to when it says earlier, we behold with unveiled face. The Holy Spirit has removed the veil from our eyes to see the glory of Christ in the Scriptures. That's why just a few verses later in chapter 4, verse 4, it talks about unbelievers. It says the God of this world, that's the little g, that's Satan. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. What are unbelievers blinded from seeing? The glory of Christ. It's not that they can't or don't understand the gospel message. It's just that they don't see Christ as glorious and worthy of praise, worthy of beholding. It's not until the Holy Spirit removes those blinders from our spiritual eyes that we do. And we have the Holy Spirit. So our aim is to come to these scriptures through the Holy Spirit and see Christ there, behold Him, marvel at Him. Be amazed at Him. Like, yeah, and, and it's because we behold Him and love Him, our love has changed and that moves our obedience. That's, that's what it is. We don't come to it like a law, this is my discipline. We come to it as an invitation to see Christ in it. And that changes my heart. That then changes my actions. Yeah. So when we come to Scripture to read it, to memorize it, our ultimate aim is to see the glory of God there and marvel at Him in praise. And all the while, the Holy Spirit is at work in us to make us more like Him. Um, oftentimes, we, we, when you come to your Bible in, 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 in your quiet time or you're memorizing a passage or you're in here on Sundays or in there on Sundays, you know, we're always looking for like some kind of something to obey. Like, what does it tell me to do? And you may, you may be in a passage that doesn't tell you anything to do. Um, and it may, may be in a passage that doesn't have any kind of immediate application to you, or, or apparently. But you'll never, 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 never come to a text that doesn't teach you anything about the glory and character of God. Or the sufficient work of Christ as our Savior. And sometimes, all that there is to do as a practical application when you come to a passage is just to behold Him. Sometimes that's all you can do is just is to love and trust and admire and worship and marvel and reflect and praise. And that's not a bad thing. Because you know as long as you're beholding, and worshiping and admiring and rejoicing in who God it is, the Spirit's at work to make you more like Him. It's a means of grace. But the other means of grace for us to consider tonight is prayer. And interestingly, Riley asked me earlier, why'd you do two of these all in one night? Why'd you do Scripture and prayer all in the same night? And I was like, well, we didn't have that many weeks to get them all in. And, interestingly enough, prayer should not be very disconnected from Scripture. It shouldn't be very disconnected from what we've already been talking about. Scripture and prayer should never be separated. And prayer, prayer is the appropriate expression of beholding Christ in the Scriptures. It's like laughing at a funny joke, right? You hear a funny joke. The appropriate expression is laughter. That's the completion of the enjoyment of the joke. Right? You follow me there? You're a joke? Like, yeah, if you can just laugh, it helps you enjoy the joke. 
In the same way, you behold Christ in the Scriptures for, for that to overflow in your heart into prayer. Whether, no, whatever you've been reading, whether that's praise or thanksgiving or supplication for help or, or intercession for another person, that helps you personally come to fully enjoy and fully appreciate and fully marinate in what you just read. Um, Paul Miller is exactly right. When we think about prayer as a means of grace, we don't need to think very much about prayer. We need to think a lot about God. I didn't quite read all the way to the end of that quote I read you earlier from Miller. That quote is, like I said, from the introduction to his book, A Praying Life. Again, read it. And I'll just read you that, that again, and, and this time I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, read what he, what he says uh, at the very end. He says, oddly enough, many people struggle to learn how to pray because they're focusing on praying, not on God. Many, making prayer the center is like making conversation the center of a family mealtime. In prayer, focusing on conversation is like trying to drive while looking at the windshield instead of through it. It freezes us, making us unsure where to go. Conversation is the only vehicle through which we experience one another. And the part I left off earlier is what he says next. And this is what, this is, this, imagine reading this in a book about prayer. He says, consequently, prayer is not the center of this book. Getting to know a person, God is the center. And that's why scripture and prayer should never be separated. Um, it's through the scriptures that you come to know God. And it's that knowledge of God that moves you to pray to him. It, it's, it, 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 and your prayer to him is informed by what you just saw of him in his word. For example, you read Proverbs 3 in your, in your you know, reading plan one morning. It just happens to be your chapter, Proverbs 3. And you read very well-known verses, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make, your, make straight your paths. And you come across those well-worn verses in your, in your quiet time. And because they're well, well-worn verses, you could just blaze right on by them in your daily discipline of Scripture reading. Or you could slow down for just a minute in this invitation for a means of grace, and as you perhaps maybe you woke up that morning in complete anxiety because graduation's coming up and you still don't have a plan for what to do after graduation or whatever it may be, you don't have any definite plans for this or that, you take that moment based on what you just said and you pray and you thank God that he has definite plans. And thank him that you don't have to lean on your own understanding because your own understanding stinks. And it's quite depressing. And you can give him thanks that he will make it plain to you at some point which way to go. And you can ask him for help not to lean on your own understanding. Like all those different ways in those two little verses, he helps you to pray. And whatever passage you read, you can turn back to him in prayer. And you know, here's the beauty of it. 
you know that whatever you pray in that moment, based on what you just read, you are already praying according to his will. And he will always answer those prayers that are already in line with his will. And he'll often answer them better than you ask them. And it's in that way that prayer, too, is a means of grace. Because it's through, it's through praying according to his word that we... It's through... It's, okay, it's when you don't have this Bible plan and it's just this discipline. i got to read Proverbs 3 today but you actually see it as a means of grace and you do what we just talked about, because it's, it's, discipline would just make you read it. Means of grace, you, you, you want to you crawl through it, right? You want to crawl through that verse and, 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 and eat it and, and pray it back to God. And, and it's when you pray it back to God that you then come to encounter God in an even deeper way because you prayed it back to him because it's when you pray it back to him he starts answering that prayer because it's already according to his word and it's through praying that you in your visceral life you come to see his faithfulness you're not just told about his faithfulness you just experienced it because you prayed it and he answered that prayer his faithfulness, his compassion, his wisdom, his power, his justice, his love, his mercy, all the stuff all the stuff, and on and on and on. You're in, you're in 2 Corinthians. Flip over to just 1 Corinthians and, and think about, no, not, not 1 Corinthians, the first chapter of 2 Corinthians. Sorry. Still in 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. And, and um, think about what Paul says about prayer in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So in this first chapter, it's a well-known chapter. It's a great chapter about God is the God of all comfort and when we're inflicted, and Paul's talking about describing trouble and persecution he faced in Asia and how God delivered him when it seemed hopeless. He said, we thought we had the sentence of death. Paul knew he had more trouble ahead of him, and so he's asking here, he's asking the, the Corinthians to pray for him. And look at what he says in verses 9 through 11. He's talking about that past, he's, he's reflecting on the past hardship preparing for the upcoming hardship. And he says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted to us through the prayers of many. That's an amazing passage. Paul thoroughly sees prayer as a means of grace. Because he says, what you, can, you can get two basic things from that. He's saying right there, their prayers for him would be the means of grace to him. Their prayers would be a channel of God's grace to Paul. Because he says, he talks about the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. But then also, their prayers for Paul would also be a means of grace to them who are praying as well. How? Because he says, many will give thanks for the blessing granted through the prayers of many. Why would they give thanks? Because through their prayers, they were able to see firsthand what Paul was talking about. How God can be relied on. How he is the God who raises the dead, who does what seemingly cannot be done. 
that we can set our hope on Him. Often prayer seems strange to us because it, it just feels uh, like we're just talking to the ceiling. It seems very one-sided. I'm just talking to God. I don't ever hear Him saying anything back. But when you marry Scripture and prayer, when you marry Scripture and prayer, and you let Scripture itself inform your prayers, and you let Scripture set the priority for your prayers, then you understand that the Scripture is His Word to you. The Scripture is His Word to you, and your prayer is your answer back. And when that becomes the constant practice in your life, you accepting His invitation to let Him speak to you in His Word, and you see Him in His Word, and you turn that back to prayer. You, you, you crawl through that verse, and you eat it, and you pray it back to Him. And you're just... You're, you're doing that so constantly. You will then have Scripture so constantly in your mind. Because I, listen, man, I had, I, had, I had seminary professors when I was in seminary. I just, I just couldn't get over how much Scripture they just had floating around in their head. Like, they would be, like, talking, and they would have this verse, and they would just say what it was. And write that verse, they would just say what it was. And, that, and I just remember, I, I remember asking one of my professors one time, when did, you, when did you memorize all of this? And he said, I never just sat down and tried. I've just spent so much time in it. I've just spent so much time in it. I've read it so many times. When you slow down, and this is not a discipline, this is a means of grace, and you read it, and you behold, and you, you crawl in there with it, and you pray it back to God, You've, you've let him speak to you and you speak back to him. When that's the constant practice in your, in your life, you will have the scriptures so constantly in your head that even when you're, you don't have your Bible with you and you're, just in some, you're in some situation where all you have time to pray is, God, help me, God will answer back in the words that you already have floating around in your mind. The Holy Spirit will just choose that right one. Bring it floating back into your memory, and you will thank God that He just said something to you and comforted you in that moment, even when your Bible wasn't open, but it was through His Word. Well, there is so much more to say about Scripture. There is certainly more to say about prayer. But the goal in this series and the goal tonight was never to teach you everything about Scripture or to teach you everything about prayer. It was simply to show how these things aren't just disciplines to be obeyed, but they are means of grace in your life to be enjoyed. And I pray that God will help us to see and practice these things in that way, to know His grace and His presence with us in a deeper way than we've ever known, for our joy and for His glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for... That you just that you set it up this way. Thank you, thank you that this that this is how you rigged creation. That you that you give us these things. You give us your word, 
And the thing about what we pray every time, it's holy, it's inspired, it's inerrant, it's sufficient. Sufficient for every need, every situation, for everything we need to know about you. It's clear. We can understand it. It's necessary. We can't neglect it. But as we do this, as we read your word, that, that all of that is true about, that it's, you, you set it up to just be an invitation to know you and to see you, behold you, become like you, hear your voice in it. Yeah. Pray it back to you. It's, it's a beautiful thing. I pray that these things that we study for the rest of this semester would be more delight than duty. Yeah, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.